Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. How much longer will justice when a lawless... Hey everybody, this is Shane Claiborne. Thanks for joining me for the show. This is going to be a special show this week. Uh, many of us, all of us, I'm sure, have a heavy heart for what's happening uh, in uh, Israel and Palestine, and um, it's it's kind of all all I can think about. It's, we're seeing so much of it on the news. So many precious lives have been lost, and I've been over there uh, many times to Israel and to the West Bank. Uh, have many many friends there who um, are hurting, and so let's let's talk about it in a very prayerful. Um, kind of somber show this week. Um, uh, you know, I, I think the backdrop of this, it's important um, to remember, is that anti-Semitism is hundreds and hundreds of years old. And uh, I did a lot of research and um, documented anti-Semitism over the centuries in, in my new book, Rethinking Life. And um, of course, you know, uh, the the one of the most horrific events in human history uh, is the Holocaust, and as we think of those millions of lives that were lost, um, especially the Jewish lives. I mean, there were others, right? Folks that were sexual minorities, folks with disability, um, all kinds of uh, other people were targeted in um, the the, the um, hatred and fascism of the Nazi regime, but uh, but. You know that that this was a a horrible act of uh, anti-Semitism, and um, and that backdrop, you know, led to what we now see as the current state of Israel. Um, and and um, it's important to remember that uh, behind the policies, the indefensible policies, crushing policies of the last 50 years, 60 years of the uh, of the state of Israel is that anti-Semitism. And, and no one's taught me that better than my friend Sammy Awad, who is a, um, a Palestinian Christian, a dear brother of mine. We've done a lot of stuff together over the years. And he, as a Palestinian, grew up um, in the Intifada, you know, and in, in saw the, he grew up seeing the policies of uh, discrimination and hatred, um, you know, regular doses of um, unprovoked violence towards the uh, his Palestinian people. Uh, and but Sammy's one of those that loves Jesus. And he he and, and others uh, over there as peacemakers, Christian peacemakers, Palestinian Christian peacemakers went to on a little p- pilgrimage to Germany in order to have a deeper sense of the trauma and pain of Jewish people. And so they toured the concentration camps and the Holocaust Museum. They saw 
the memorials to the lives lost in the Holocaust. And Sammy talked about how deeply he was moved by that and, and how it also gave him new eyes, right? To see the humanity of people who have often refused to see the sacredness of his own humanity. And he said, now, you know, when he, when he looks at the, the wall separating Israel and, and the West bank and Palestine, he, uh, he says, I used to see hatred, but now I see fear. And it's a fear that, um, is is understandable because of that history. Now that doesn't justify the policies uh, that have been driven by that fear that have been crushing the Palestinian people, but it it doesn't justify it, but it helps explain it. And and likewise, I think uh, as you think of the the um, the Palestinian people, the folks living on the other side of that wall in, in Gaza, which has, you know, some 2 million people in the West Bank, uh, all of that's, I think, around 5 million people that are living there that, um, you know, I visited these areas. In fact, on my desk here, I have a um, tear gas canister that has been turned into a Christmas ornament made in Palestine, in the city of Bethlehem, where Jesus is born. A lot of folks, when they go on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, um, they barely even dip in to the Palestinian side, the West Bank side. And that's where Bethlehem is. And in fact, that's where a lot of things are. You know, this city of Hebron, where um, uh, Abraham and Sarah are buried. Uh, as you as you go into these areas, you see a whole nother side of the story. We call it the Holy Land, but there's so many things, uh, unholy things that have happened um, over the decades of occupation that, you know, have certainly um, created this uh, outrage uh, because of the injustice. And um, now when we look at the terrorism and the atrocities, the evil that is being committed by Hamas, um, none of that justifies their violence, but it does help explain how you could become so rageful and so um, uh, driven by hatred to do the kind of evils that we're seeing. Um I mean, when, when I went to Hebron, we went to the Abrahamic Mosque. So this is a holy site for many different religions. Um, and, you know, Abraham, I remember somebody in, in, in the, uh, Israel saying, we, we all come from the dysfunctional family of Abraham and Sarah. And so this is a site visited by uh, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and there is a shared worship space there. But where the Muslims worship in the mosque, you can see the bullet holes that are still have intentionally been left in the wall of the Abrahamic mosque. Um, so you could see this um, Jewish, this, this Jewish terrorist. I mean, this person that said they were Jewish, right? That was fueled by hatred enough to open fire on Muslims in the middle of prayer and kill them. And those bullet holes are still left in the wall there. And I saw that, you know, you grieve that. And then you look at uh, uh, the, the um, 
most folks who, who I, I'm, I'm hesitating to even justify it because there's a whole movement of um, Muslims against extremism. And there's Jewish folks that would never uh, want to identify with the same religion as someone who could do that kind of violence. And so there's, of course, Christians that denounce the Christian extremism that we see often express itself in violence. So all of our religions have been used and abused and distorted and twisted to justify violence. No one kills with more passion than when they believe that God is on their side. And so now we see this taking new forms. And of course, um, the response of Israel now has began has been horrific violence. Um, the the bombing of the Gaza Strip and in Gaza now, where we see, um, if you look, I and mean, not not much of this is in the mainstream media, um, but you can see the stories of uh, over 400 dead children now. And listen to this: in uh, Gaza, the population is very young. Um, over 40 percent of the population of Gaza are children. And yet it has been called the largest open air prison in the world because this has become a containment unit of Palestinians by the Israeli apartheid wall. And, you know, it's often been called apartheid, which means separation. And we sometimes think of South Africa, but this is the most sophisticated apartheid system in human history. I mean, the massive wall, the way that they've been able to ghettoize and contain um, the Palestinian folks in, in Gaza and the West Bank. And what's so sad is that when you look at the Holocaust, some of these same things were done to Jewish people. And it's that reminder that, that our own pain and trauma can be transmitted as violence if we aren't careful. Anyone who is hurt can then carry out often what looks like the same forms of hurt that were you know, put onto them. And we see some of that now as the Israeli government is bombing Palestine. And you see the evil, the violence begets violence. The hatred begets violence. Uh, the hatred, as, as Martin Luther King said, we're adding fuel to an already dreadful fire. Um, as Jesus said, right? Jesus taught this so powerfully that if we live by the sword, we die by the sword. Um, if, if we uh, take up the sword instead of the enemy loving cross of Jesus, we end up uh, adding violence to the world. And he, Jesus's own disciples were tempted by this idea, right? To use violence to try to um, protect Jesus. Uh, you know, Peter picked up his sword and Jesus scolded him. And that's when he said, you pick up the sword, you die by the sword. And then he healed the man that Peter had wounded. And then when you look at um, the sons of thunder, these two disciples of Jesus, they, there's a point where they wanted to call down fire from heaven. I mean, they wanted to literally bring down fire on the Samaritans. They wanted uh, to do that. And Jesus rebuked them and said, I could have called down legions of angels. No, that is not how we roll. And now as Israel is, bringing down fire from heaven. We remember that this is 
uh, I mean, it's really fire from hell, but I mean, it's that same longing, right? To bring out this holy vengeance. And yet scripture says that God says vengeance is mine, which means it's not ours. Um, that literally Jesus said, um, when we try to separate good and evil, when we try to separate the the wheat and the weeds, we will not do a good job. We will end up pulling up the wheat. And you see this, this declaration of war on evil. And who's dying? Little children are dying. Um, they're dying both in from Hamas, but they're also dying from the Israeli army. Like they're they're not taking out Hamas. They are killing many, many hundreds of innocent people. Um, and at the end of the day, we're not going to build a peaceful world by killing each other's children. Um, every child that dies creates a deeper sense of hatred and vengeance. It's, it's just like this spiral of out-of-control violence that we see. So I'm going to get to the good news. But I want to say that... Um, you know, as we look at all this, the U.S. has, has all, also a role to play. Um, uh, many people are saying we're praying for Israel, and we should be praying for Israel. Uh, but we should also be pay- praying for the Palestinian people. Um, every single one of those children in Gaza is just as precious as the children who have been killed in Israel. So I, I, this is not a soccer game, right? This is not a sports match where you you cheer on your favorite team. This is a dreadful um, hurricane of violence that's just building momentum. And we, we've got to do everything we can to not take sides, but to say uh, we denounce all violence, uh, uh, to to be, but but to also like to recognize that peace is what what what's going to bring for peace. I think of that that powerful text where it says that Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they didn't know the things that would bring for peace. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they didn't know the things that would lead to peace. And you know Jesus has got to be weeping over Jerusalem and weeping over Gaza right now, weeping over the United States, who is also um, not innocent in all of this, um, because we keep doing things that don't lead to peace. Um, so when when Biden and, and now Justin Bieber, LeBron, like many other, many celebrities are voicing their solidarity with Israel, we've got to denounce the evil that is also happening at the hands of the state of Israel. I think it's very important to differentiate between the people of Israel and the government of Israel, the state of Israel, just as it's important to differentiate between Hamas and the Palestinian people. So you can be pro-Palestinian as far as trying to fight for dignity and liberation and an end to the occupation. and, and and not obviously none you know not not being pro Hamas but being um, recognizing the, the 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 dignity of the Palestinian people and you can also care about Jewish people as we all should without um, defending 
the actions that are being done by the state of Israel. And right now, Joe Biden and many people in our government have just said we are behind Israel no matter what they do. It's important to remember that Israel gets nearly $4 billion a year of support from the U.S. government. And um, and, and so this violence, we, we, we um, now the electricity and water has been cut off to Gaza. I mean, this is a humanitarian crisis. And I think of uh, you know, not only is it a violation of international laws and Geneva Convention and all these things, it's also just wrong. It's unloving. It's unchristlike. It's not what God would want. I think of that beautiful text in Romans where it says, if your un- enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. So whoever you think the enemy is in this situation the question is, what does it look like to love them? And that's a scandalous thing. Um, but for any of us who would dare call ourselves Christians, we've got to remember that Christ Christ commanded us to love our enemies. And how can we love our enemies and simultaneously prepare to kill them? What does love do? Love is willing to die but not kill. Love offers, love is willing to wear evil down with love to say, if you're hungry, I'm going to feed you. If you're thirsty, I'm going to give you something to drink. And people say, yeah, but what about the evil of Hamas or ISIS or terrorism? Jesus lived in a time that evil was also very real. I mean, we got to remember this was a, an age when the state put people on crosses, hung them up naked to die in front of everybody. And not just Jesus, but there was someone on his left and on his right. In fact, there were hundreds and hundreds of crosses that were placed out executing people. People were fed to beast in the gladiatorial games. Like folks were set on fire. They were tortured. I mean, this is the evil world in which Jesus lived. I mean, when Jesus was born, Herod was killing children to try to root out Jesus. And so people's families were being torn apart, lives were at stake, and that is the world in which the Prince of Peace was born. Jesus came to us, God came to us as a brown-skinned, Palestinian, Jewish refugee in the middle of a really violent regime. That's how God came to us. That act of solidarity with which, you know, God's love is put on full display, even as he's being killed. Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Literally absorbing the violence of the world, putting it on display and subverting it with love and forgiveness and an empty tomb. So I want to say that I do have hope. Um, I believe that love is more powerful than hatred. Dr. Martin Luther King said, uh, no matter how much you hate us, we will refuse to hate you. We will not give you the power to turn our hearts from love to hate. And so Dr. King said, no matter what you do, 
we will still love you. You can put this in jail and we will still love you. You can burn down our houses and we will still love you. You can threaten the lives of our children and we will still love you. Uh, you can put your dogs on us and squirt us with water hoses in the streets, but we will still love you. And Dr. King said, we will wear you down by our love and we, we will win you over to the cause of love. We will wear you down with that love. So that is the power of Jesus. That's the power of our faith. And it doesn't give an anecdote for every situation like what we see happening right now in the Middle East. But I do want to say there are examples of that love that I've seen over and over. I think of the uh, Nasser family at the um, Tent of Nations. This is a Palestinian Christian family that lives on land that they've inherited for generations and generations and generations. But as the state of Israel was... um, beginning to occupy the West Bank. They tried to take their land. They played really dirty. They refused to give them um, utilities like running water and electricity. So they live off the grid. They built this little village there called the Tent of Nations. They planted olive trees and some of the Jewish settlers there um, have vandalized their property, have ripped up their olive trees. And yet the the family there at the Tent of Nations, the Nasser family, they they painted a banner that says, we refuse to be your enemies. We refuse to be enemies. And I remember as I visited there, I said, how do you have the strength to love in the face of such hatred? And Dawood Nassar said, Jesus. Jesus gives us the strength to not succumb to hatred, but to overcome evil with good, as the scripture says. I remember one story, the the mother of the family, Amal, she was telling the story of these, I mean, these settlements like right next to the, uh, exist, the, the Jewish, you know, the Israeli settlements exist right next to Palestinian poverty, families that, you know, live in such desperation. And some of these settlements have, you know, swimming pools and hot tubs and all kinds of luxuries. And, and so, um, uh, Amal said she walks the same road as some of the settlers, and she got to know one of these Jewish women. And and as a Palestinian Christian, she, you know, said we started talking to each other as mothers. And I invited her to come and visit us. And to her credit, this Israeli woman, this Jewish settler, she came and visited their family. And when she saw them their humanity, and also their living conditions. It broke her heart. And she said, you know, how is it that we live in such different worlds? And so part of what we've got to do right now is to pray that folks would have that kind of courage to try to change lenses and see the world through each other's eyes. Um, Where we sit determines what we see, as the old saying goes. And so when your baby is being killed, whoever did that feels like a terrorist. It doesn't matter what flag they've wrapped themselves in. When your family is being killed, it is heart-wrenching. It is evil. And so that violence, like the the, the tent of nation shows us, uh, you know, another way. And I think of that old saying, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, one of the most well-known scriptures um, out there 
it's also one of the most misunderstood. I, you know, I write about this in my book, Executing Grace. And um, but it was a framework that was meant to limit violence. It was called lex talionis, where we get the idea of retaliation from. It was called the law of retaliation, and it allowed reciprocal harm. So you could hurt someone back, but only as much as they had hurt you. You couldn't hurt them more. And um, my Jewish friends have taught me so much about that text. They said, we've used it as a license for revenge, but it was actually meant to put a limitation on violence so it didn't spiral out of control you could if someone you know hurt you you could only hurt them back in the same way that they hurt you if they broke your left arm you could break their left arm but you you couldn't break both of their arms you know and so that's why jesus shines so brightly when he says you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but I tell you this, Moses told you this, but I tell you this. And I want to say for those of us who are trying to follow Jesus, there is the fulfillment of that law is not just to limit violence, but to refuse to mirror that violence. We might have a legal right to harm someone back, but that doesn't make it morally right. Uh, we might think that justice is injuring someone who's injured us, but we can take higher moral ground and we don't even have to return the harm that was done to us. There's a better form of justice. And in scripture, the idea of justice and righteousness are held closely together because it's not just about getting what you deserve. It's about healing the harm. And this spiral of violence just creates new victims, new harm. That's what war does. It does not heal the wounds. It only creates new wounds. And so we've tried the sword, living by the sword and dying by the sword. We've done it over and over again. So let's pray for this situation, this escalating violence in Israel and in Palestine. Let's grieve every life lost. Um, Let's call for an end to the violence. Do all that we can to defund and interrupt and boycott uh, companies that might contribute to the violence. And let's grieve with the families there on both sides of the wall. Let's say the only way we will have peace in the Middle East is when people's lives are valued as equally precious. When there's a life lost on the other side of the wall, it's just as tragic as if it were our own child or mother or father. So let's pray and let's work for a lasting peace and justice for everyone in this situation. And it's really going to take imagining what would this land look like if everyone had the equal their, their, their equal right to water, to vote, to have schools that were Kids are valued with dignity, and and that has not been the case in decades and decades, and violence is not going to solve that. So let's refuse to resort to violence, but let's advocate for the full dignity of those who are in Palestine, in the West Bank and Gaza, and also for our Jewish friends and Israeli friends on the other side. You can keep in touch with Red Letter Christians. We're going to do all we can to work for peace and to interrupt this war. Thank you. Thanks for listening, y'all. Love you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. 
but at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.